Our gospel for today is from Luke, the 17th chapter. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace to you and peace from God, our creator, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. At least once a year, my family would go to the Oregon coast for a vacation. In fact, we still do that. One summer, when I was about five or six and my bro brother, John, was three or four years old, we were playing on the sand of the beach and having fun on the water's edge with my dad. While we were playing, the tide had come in and completely surrounded us on this sandbank without us knowing. When dad finally looked up and realized what had happened, he was a little nervous and worried and a little panicked, too. As my dad began looking around for the best, easiest, most shallow place to cross, my brother John also started getting a little panicked. So he slowly just started walking into the water at one spot, and the water slowly got deeper and deeper and deeper. And dad saw what was happening. He said, John, the water's too deep there. You're not going to make it across. Come back. No, John answered, I can do it myself. So dad let him try while staying close by, of course. And the water continued to get deeper and deeper and deeper. And John just kept going until it was up to his neck. And then he panicked and finally raised up his hand and said, Daddy, help! And finally my dad went in and pulled him out of the water apparently destroying his brand new Sunday shoes from the story I was told. It's funny the things you remember when you think back. And brought him back onto the sandbank where later he found a safe spot for us to cross and we went back on the beach and went back to the house that we had rented. You know, from a very young age, we learned that being independent and growing up means not asking for help. You are a big kid when you can do it yourself. How many parents have heard that in their lifetime, right? And teaching your kids to be independent is very important. Children need to learn how to eat food on their own, get dressed on their own, brush their own teeth, use the bathroom by themselves, and hopefully learn to clean the bathroom too when they get a little older, right? As well as do the dishes, the laundry, and so on. And as a parent, it can also be a good teaching technique to allow your kids to make their own mistakes, as long as they don't burn the house down or endanger themselves or others in any way. 
Because as human beings, we learn and grow both through our successes as well as our failures. However, the underlying lesson that is often inadvertently being taught in this long journey towards independence is that asking for help means you failed. If you have to ask for help, then you aren't as smart, as grown up, as strong and brave as you thought you were. It's as though asking for help is a sign of weakness. And in my experience, people who often ask for help will often feel embarrassed or ashamed when they do it. As a pastor, I can recall a number of times when I served at the food basket or the soup kitchen in Idaho Falls. And you could tell the people who were coming in for the first time because they were a little nervous, they were looking down, they felt ashamed because they'd never had to ask for help to get food before. Many of them left in tears. And I remember many conversations, both in person and over the phone, both there and here, that began with, I feel embarrassed asking this, or I've never had to do this before, or I never thought I'd be in this situation. But it's not their fault that they got sick and all of a sudden had a ton of medical bills they couldn't pay, or that their rent increased $400 overnight, or that someone in their family lost their job. There should be no shame in asking for help. Even with the little things, like moving the table, making dinner, doing dishes. But unfortunately, this lesson stays with us throughout the rest of our lives, that we shouldn't have to ask for help. And as young people, teens, adults, we often find ourselves in situations that make us feel as though we have to prove ourselves in some way. We feel as though we have to do everything right and do it better than the other person in order to earn respect and move up the food chain. We have to get an A. We have to go to college. We have to get the big job so we can earn the big bucks, so we can buy the big house, so we can provide for our families, and so on and so forth. And this idea and pressure that we have to do it on our own, solve our own problems, and not ask for help often leads us to endure pain and suffering in mind, body, or spirit for longer than necessary until we're up to our neck in water panicking. But God created us to be in community for a reason, so that we can rely on one another, help one another, and never have to go it alone. We have nothing to prove to God. God loves us just as we are, period. In addition, the more that we ask for help from others, the more we invite new people, thoughts, ideas, and ways of doing things into our lives, into our understanding. Asking for help means being willing to be vulnerable with another person, which isn't easy to do. In fact, it takes bravery, humility, courage. Therefore, in my book, asking for help from another human being is a sign of strength, not weakness. And that's one of the lessons that God is still trying to teach us in our day and age, just as much as God was trying to teach people back in Jesus' day. And we find that in our scripture readings for today. Today we read not one, but two wonderful miracle stories. The first one is a story of a powerful, 
wealthy and highly respected Syrian general named Naaman, who also suffered from leprosy. Now, considering there are so many stories in both the Old and New Testament that identify disease as some curse or punishment from God, I think it's important to point out that it does not say he was cursed with leprosy or that God was punishing him with leprosy, but simply that he had it. He was sick. It's no one's fault. and There was no shame in it. In addition, according to the story, God had given this non-Jew, this foreigner, this Syrian, a victory in battle on behalf of the king of Aram. So God's hand was already with the man and leading him, even though he didn't even realize it and probably didn't even know who this God was at the time. How many times have you sat and thought back on your life and been able to say, oh yeah, that prayer was answered right there, but I, I didn't realize it at the time. Or yeah, I can see this was God in my life. I can see where this had happened before and how God helped me through this. I don't know about you, but I can't count the number of times I've looked back and realized that God's hand was guiding me through or to something. And I didn't realize it until after the fact. Going back to our story, it just so happens that a young Israelite girl was taken during a raid and served under Naaman's wife, through though the circumstances of her being taken from her home were awful. But she ended up being in the right place at the right time to help Naaman by telling him through his wife to see a Samaritan prophet, Elisha, who could cure him. So the king of Aram writes a letter to the king of Israel asking him to heal Naaman. The only problem is that the king of Israel has no idea why the king of Aram is asking him this. And he thinks it's some trick to start a war or something. But fortunately, Elisha hears about this and tells the king to send Naaman to him so Naaman can be healed and come to know the God of Israel, who again has already been working in Naaman's life, but Naaman just doesn't know it yet. Now, being a man of wealth and power, Naaman expects that he will have to pay for this miracle. So he brings elaborate and expensive gifts with him. Naaman also expects Elisha, who he thinks is just a common healer, like the ones he's experienced in his home, to come out and put on a big show of healing, waving his hands over the leprosy and making it disappear like some big magic trick because he's a big, important person. And theoretically, Elisha could have done that, but he doesn't. Why? I believe it's because he wants to show Naaman three things. First, it is not Elisha that's doing the healing, but God. Second, Naaman needs to learn that he cannot and does not need to buy this healing that he is receiving. It is a free gift from God. And three, no matter how powerful or wealthy or strong or worthy someone thinks they are, everyone needs help sometimes, and that's okay. And no one should have to jump through hoops and prove themselves to receive God's healing, love, and grace. So instead, Elisha sends out a servant to meet Naaman and his entourage and his expensive gifts that he has brought. And his servant tells him, go wash in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed. And as Elisha probably expected, Naaman's a little pissed off. 
right? He feels slighted and disrespected and tricked that this guy doesn't even come out to greet him or lay hands on him or do miraculous signs and wonders. He must be thinking, this is so stupid. What a waste of time. I come all the way out here just to take a bath in a dirty river. He's probably thinking, I should just go back to doing things my way and hope for the best. It's gotten me this far. This is humiliating, asking for help from this guy. Essentially, I should be able to do this myself. But then Naaman's servants say, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was, wash and be clean? Notice that they call him father, not master or lord, as one might expect. It's also interesting to note that the servant girl who was taken from Israel was the one who was concerned enough for Naaman to bring up this guy, Elisha, who might be able to heal him in the first place. He must have been a very benevolent man to have the love and respect of so many people around him. To actually follow the advice of a young foreign girl in the first place and allow his servants to call him father? Though he is powerful and wealthy, even he needs community, needs the reminder that they're there to help him, needs people to support him. So eventually Naaman goes, washes in the river seven times, and he's healed. And then Naaman goes back to Elisha's house to thank him and praise the God of Israel, a sign that he has changed both inside and out. Now you might have noticed there's a lot of similarities between our story of Naaman as well as our gospel lesson for today. Most commentaries actually believe that the gospel of Luke, uh, the writer of the gospel of Luke, excuse me, wrote this story in the gospel lesson so that people would recognize and remember the story of Naaman and its telling. So Jesus is walking along and there are these 10 men with leprosy, complete opposite of Naaman in this case, right? And these 10 men with leprosy somehow recognize Jesus and call out to him from a distance saying, Jesus, have mercy on us. Now, traditionally, lepers were told that when someone came near them or their community, they were supposed to alert passersby by shouting out, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine being a part of that community? Not only have you been living a difficult, painful, isolated life, being an outcast from society, forced to leave family and friends and jobs, giving up every independence that you have, and then having to shout out over and over again, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, until you believe that's all you are. So it's no wonder that upon recognizing Jesus, they desperately call out for help. They've been drowning in pain and loneliness for a long time. And then it says that Jesus saw them and told them to go show themselves to the priests. In Luke's gospel, seeing is both physical and metaphorical. So Jesus sees them physically, but also sees what they have been through and decides to help. And similar to the story of Naaman, Jesus doesn't wave his hands over the lepers or go and lay hands on them. 
although Jesus does that earlier in the same gospel, and so could have here too. But instead, Jesus says they should show themselves to the priests. He doesn't even promise healing at this point. But not having anything else to lose, the lepers do as Jesus say. And while they're on their way to show themselves to the priest, it says they were made clean. They haven't even been approached by anybody. There's nobody there to do a big magic trick, to do a big wave of hands, a big show. It was on their way that they were made clean. Again, it wasn't Jesus directly, nor the priest that healed him, but only God. And Jesus could have, because Jesus was God, but Jesus wanted to show them that God is much bigger than this one person. And then one of them, a Samaritan, when he saw he was healed, there's that seeing word again, went back to Jesus, praising God, prostrating himself at Jesus' feet in thanks. And then Jesus asked the questions, were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? These are all valid questions. And I believe Jesus asks these questions to point out that these other nine may have been healed from their leprosy, but perhaps they still needed to be healed in other ways. Perhaps they were of the mindset of, yay, now I can go back to doing things for myself without help from anyone. I may have been guilty of this a time or two myself. The Samaritan, on the other hand, saw that he was clean. He saw physically that he was healed and was able to see, metaphorically, that God had healed him. That God was there for him and with him. That God saw him as much more than unclean. The powerful truth of these miracle stories, I believe, is twofold. First, when you ask for help, amazing things can happen. And second, God is still active in the world today, in and through us, to truly see others, both outside and in, so that we may truly help each other as equals. Today, very shortly, we are all going to go outside for the rest of our worship service so that we can dedicate our newly finished columbarium, which took eight years of hard work, dedication, making plans, remaking plans, and asking for a lot of help from people throughout the process. You'll hear the names of some of those people a little bit later. Did things always go smoothly in the process? Nope. And as frustrating as that was at times, the fact of the matter is that no one gave up. And people kept reaching out for help over and over again. There were teams of people who kept working together to support one another and keep the project going. And the vision grew and expanded over time. As they say, it takes a village. And perhaps our Holy Spirit community is better off for it. And now we are blessed to be able to celebrate this new sacred space where we can be reminded of all those people who taught us, encouraged us, and helped us on our respective journeys in life. Asking for help can change you, free you, and broaden your way of seeing the world, 
seeing yourself and seeing God in your midst. May we all be brave and courageous enough to ask for help and do so before the water is up to our necks. Amen.